Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. All right. Hello and welcome to Mindful as a Mother. Today is a solo episode and I am so excited to be here to talk to you about anxiety in kids. I just want to remind everyone this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. I am not your child's therapist and this is purely for educational purposes. Some of the things we're going to talk about today are going to be so helpful for you in determining if your child's symptoms and behaviors are because of anxiety or if it's something else. So this episode will probably be a two-parter. Today we'll talk about how to know if it is anxiety and common symptoms that show up in kids that maybe we aren't aware of or don't know about. And then next solo episode will be about what to do if your child has some anxiety. And I'll probably throw in some tips in between because I've been known to do that. So anyway, the first thing that we want to talk about is physical symptoms. Sorry, I had to look at my notes. So anxiety symptoms don't always present like we think they will, especially in children. And they tend to present in a few different categories. So we have like the more physical symptoms of anxiety that happen in your body and with body chemistry. And then there's the more behavioral and emotional symptoms. So first I want to talk to you about the physical symptoms. Common physical symptoms of anxiety are headache, stomach ache, um, upset stomach, like diarrhea or constipation, frequent urination, and loss of appetite or change in appetite. And so I just, now that I listed those, I want to back up and walk through them. I can't tell you how many referrals I get from pediatricians where they send clients to therapy because they go into the doctor with like a stomach ache every single day. And it turns out that it's anxiety and that's how it's manifesting in this little child's body. Children are not always able to express their emotions or even recognize them or what is going on with them. So they just think like, oh, mom, I'm getting a stomach every day at lunchtime when really it's that before lunch is recess and they're having social problems. So they're having anxiety or something like that. Right. Um, I also want to take a quick second and specify the difference between anxiety clinical diagnosis and what we like use as jargon terms for anxiety. And I probably should have talked about this before, but here we are. So um, in this podcast, when I refer to anxiety, I'm not talking about the clinical diagnosis of anxiety. I am talking about symptoms that fit into or... uh, make you think of anxiety because I think there's a big difference between 
being clinically diagnosed with anxiety and saying like, oh, I have anxiety about my job interview tomorrow. So think of this podcast like the second one. Okay, now back to that. So kids get anxiety over a lot of different situations and anxiety is known like all other mental health issues for manifesting in a physical way. Your child has these physical symptoms and they don't even recognize that it's anxiety. I had my own story with this when I was a child and I may have told this on the podcast. I cannot really remember to be honest with you, but I went to... I was getting migraines all the time from like a very young age. I'm thinking like seven, maybe older. Anyway, so getting anxiety, not getting anxiety, getting migraines. I had anxiety, yes, from a very young age. And I went and got a CAT scan done on my head and I, I think I was totally fine. And they, I think they pretty much were like, your brain's overactive, which, and I don't know if they actually said that to my mom or my mom knew that I had anxiety. And so she just told me that, that my brain was overactive and that was her way of like describing it to me, which, um, I think is a brilliant way to describe something like that to a child. Kind of like your brain's overactive. It's just thinking too much because it takes it away from being like a personal flaw and more from just like your brain's doing it something. Headaches, stomach aches, diarrhea, constipation, difficulty sleeping is another kind of, I call that a physical symptom. And then change in appetite are the main kind of indicators that there could be something going on. Those are also indicators of depression, some of them, most of them. So keeping in mind that those other situations could come up with other mental health issues. But if you're seeing these physical symptoms in your child, coupled with some other behavioral things, which we're about to talk about, then you know, like red flag, maybe I need to address if this is an anxiety or a worry issue. Okay. Some of the behavioral or emotional indicators are struggling with a change in routine. We all have that child that like if something is off the routine or they didn't know it was happening, that that loses it, cannot handle it, and struggles to compose themselves and move forward. Anything like that. Also struggling with transitions from school to summertime, moving, things like that. So all kids are going to struggle with transitions and, uh, you know, all of these things, they're all going to struggle with change in routine and transitions. So what you want to look for is not just one, one behavioral indicator. You want to look for multiple behavioral indicators and situations that any child would have a reaction to if your child has a a bigger reaction than it may be an indicator that there's something more going on. We also have excessive worry and this excessive worry can be broken down into a few different categories. Separation is one. That's where we get the term separation anxiety. Just so you know, um, I think it's 18 to 24 months is like the big time for separation anxiety with toddlers gonna have to look that up now because I'm doubting myself okay but then the the rise I see in children coming 
to therapy for trouble separating and going to school is kindergarten and first grade. Mostly first grade. I don't know what it is about first grade that actually I do know what it is. It's that it's not just like going for a couple hours. It's I will be gone the whole day. I'm in school. I have to eat lunch there. It there's probably more homework. It's a very big transition and can create a lot of worries or anxieties. And so this is when you see kids that typically like have trouble going to school. They throw a tantrum on the way to school. They refuse to go to school. They won't get dressed. They have to be dragged out of their car and carried in. And I say dragged in the nicest way possible. I mean, the parent lovingly throws them over their shoulder and walks them into school because they will not go on their own. And so just know that if you are struggling with this right now, or if you're thinking you may be struggling with it come the fall, you are not alone. It is a very common and it doesn't necessarily mean that your child will have anxiety, but what it does mean is that they need to find ways to cope in the moment and find things to do that help them separate from you. And this just gave me the brilliant idea to do a separation anxiety episode. So I'll write that down and we'll get a separation anxiety episode going for all the tips for the separation, which is difficult for everyone. I don't know why I feel like singing today, guys. I'm recording on a Friday, which I almost never do. And so I'm in a really good mood. But next is like natural disasters, tornadoes, hurricanes, um, earthquakes, in Utah, we had our like an earthquake last year. 2020 was wild. That, I mean, it's a pretty uncommon thing here, even though we're on a fault line. And it created a lot of anxiety in adults, but also children about natural disasters, earthquakes, things like that. Um, thunderstorms. It, so it's n- typical for children to be afraid of these things. And then you add in like the other level. So like the kid that's worried about a tornado and you're not in a tornado zone or area, things like that, talking about that. I've had clients before that are worried about, I remember this was like more in the beginning of my career. I had a client that was petrified that ISIS was going to come and kill us because of what they were seeing on the news at school at the time lots of fear about COVID and germs recently, which makes sense. I mean, there's lots of adults that have had that as well. If this is an issue for your child or something that they have a hard time with, I would be really aware of the media and the content they're consuming. And um, if it's increasing these worries that they have, especially in school, and I know we're about to transition to summer, But in school, sometimes they show like CNN sixth grade or whatever it is. I remember it being CNN. I don't know why, but they, they show this, these things to kids because they want them to be educated on current events, which makes sense. But they also, their brains are not in a place where they can handle learning about like terrorism and ISIS attacking people without it, without it sending the message, I'm in danger right? So just creating, just recognizing that and how media can impact that, but also realizing that the fear of these things, excessive fear, 
could be a red flag or indicator that there's some anxiety or something else that needs to be worked on or addressed with your child. Uh, next is irritability and fighting with siblings or peers. Irritability is a very, so for me, I'm going to say common in what I see in my practice, symptom of anxiety or excessive worry. Maybe I should just call anxiety excessive worry so that we're not confusing the clinical part. Anyway, irritability, being really quick to snap or lash out in anger is a common symptom that I see. What I also see is that the the general public or people that aren't a therapist don't typically recognize that irritability is a common symptom of these things. So what they'll say is, oh gosh, my, you know, my eight-year-old is just so irritable. They're fighting with their sibling all the time and yelling and throwing things at them. And I don't know what's wrong. Why can't she just be nice to them? And it maybe is spurred on by some kind of anxiety or worry. So if your child is presenting as super irritable and or there was a sudden change in temperament or irritability, keep this in mind that they could be worried about something or focusing on something excessively. Anxiety and feeling anxious doesn't isn't just about worry. It's about the the mental spiral of thinking about something and not being able to stop thinking about it. So irritability. That's like a super fun one to deal with as a parent. Also very common. And typically once that child learns some skills to recognize when they're feeling nervous or anxious, what makes them nervous or anxious, you can create like a really bomb plan to help them manage those emotions in the situation so that they're not lashing out at other people. And shameless plug, I am creating a course that helps you do this with your kids, not just for anxiety, but any kind of emotional regulation. And I'm so excited for you to see it. But that is, that is one of the main things I do in therapy is recognize, helping kids recognize what situations set them off or make them spiral and create a plan for it. So anyway, back to the topic. Ooh, being unusually hard on themselves. A lot of times kids will worry about what peers think of them or they will be really hard on themselves and expect perfection. So if you have a child with perfectionistic tendencies, struggling to complete assignments because they have to be perfect or struggling with needing to have perfect grades or do all the things perfectly or be the best soccer player and piano player and all those things, that could be a red flag for some like excessive worry about what will happen or what people will think of them if they aren't. I'm just going to rattle off some other symptoms. These are physical and behavioral or emotional that to be aware of that could be an indicator of an excessive worry or anxiety issue because I didn't maybe go into detail about these, but I just want you to be aware of them so that you can be looking for them. So we talked about anger or aggression, avoiding situations, specifically at social situations to me. Um, I feel like a 
big red flag for kids because they love to be social. So if they're struggling with that, that would be something to explore, look at why they're struggling so much. When I didn't talk about, but that could be a symptom is bedwetting. A lot of people also think that bedwetting is a symptom of trauma and it can be, but bedwetting isn't like the end all be all of mental, uh, of like a trauma indicator or an anxiety indicator. It's just like one of those things that if you're seeing a bunch of the other symptoms in addition to bedwetting, then you probably want to look into it deeper. Getting in trouble at school. This is typically because they aren't able to complete work because, or be on task because their brain is busy worrying. Uh, oh, picking at skin, nail biting, and like having an exaggerated startle or being jumpy. Those are some other things that you can look for that can be indicators that like, okay, there may be something deeper going on here. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, this doesn't necessarily mean that your child has a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. It really just means that you need to be the detective in your child's life and figure out what is going on. Is is there an event going on at school that is exacerbating fears? Is it a social thing? Is it that they're hungry? Is it that they're tired? And if it's not any of those things, if the environment is set in a way that's, that says like, okay, maybe we need to explore something deeper going on here with a professional or you know, by implementing some coping skills and strategies at home. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't always be teaching your kids to implement coping skills and strategies, even if it is an event or one thing, or they're feeling like a one-off, like having a one-off anxious moment. So I hope this was helpful to you in some way. Stay tuned for part two, where we will talk about what to do for the anxious child. We all know that I'm a big advocate for spending 15 minutes of one-on-one time with your child daily. Now, obviously that can get very tricky with busy schedules and life, or you can run out of ideas for things to do one-on-one with your kids. And this is where KiwiCo comes in. I've told you about our rainbow crate that we tried and we seriously loved it. So if you're wanting to find an easy craft project or science project for your kids where everything is prepped and ready to go and cost effective, go to the link in the show notes and get on your subscription for KiwiCo. So here we are with one of my favorite segments, The Mom Fails. And I have some good ones today. I know I say that every week though. I say I have some good ones today because they're all good. Anyway, I never know if I'm supposed to share my own first or like save it till last, but here we go. So we had a mom forget snacks at the water park. And I just have to say... Being a mom is exhausting. The planning of being a mom, like not the actual parenting piece. That's exhausting too, but in a different way. Preparing all the things for the kids, remembering things, making lists of things, packing things. 
is exhausting and you will always forget something or not pack enough of something. And no matter how hard you try to pack snacks so you avoid spending $7 on some nachos at the water park snack bar, you will either want the nachos because that fake cheese is amazing or you, your kids will be hungry or they'll want ice cream or pizza and you'll end up spending $100 when you packed snacks. And it, that's just one of the uhs of like motherhood. So I feel you, girl. I feel you. And I'm sorry. I hope they, they had some snacks for sale where you're at because of COVID. I don't know if they, they did or not. I hope you didn't spend a small fortune on, you know, an overpriced Diet Coke and a slushie. Next up, we have mine. I, um had to chase two-thirds of my children, Ella and Sam, across the neighbor's lawn as they were streaking. I don't know if they saw it. They probably were laughing. We were swimming outside, and Ella, who is in this naked, free face, she's going to be like my free spirit, my little hippie child, decides she thinks it's funny to run. And we live on like a fairly busy street, so it's like you don't want your kid running around naked outside anywhere, but like there's tons of cars passing all the time. And I saw people laughing at me as I'm chasing her. And then Sam's trying to be helpful and then just decides, well, like F it. Why be helpful? I'm going to take my pants off and run around too. Meanwhile, Ava is yelling at them because she's my bossy one and she's trying to mom them. So I got them inside threatened to never take them swimming again outside and they had to take a nap it was nap time anyway but um so that was my mom fail this week someone was distracted by their kids arguing and put dish soap in the dishwasher um i'm sure this was a giant freaking disaster and mess and i don't actually think i know how you would clean that up I do know that my brother-in-law did that once when he was dating my sister-in-law. So it's my husband's sister. He was dating her and he was like trying to be helpful and did the dishes at my in-laws and did that. And there was soap all over the floor. I don't know how you clean that up. I think you have to like, just like let it run its course to get all the soap out, right? Um, I need to hear how you clean that up. And that just sounds like a headache and I'm sorry because you were probably already frustrated with your kids arguing with each other and then you had to mop the floor. What I would do because I'm lazy is I would then just get the mop out and use the bubbles to mop my floor. So I hope that you did that and you kind of made lemonade out of lemons. Okay so this mom says, I'm not sure this if this is a mom fail or not, but I told my oldest she could trade her brother for a dinosaur. Then she texted me this. Okay, so um, this is the daughter. Mom, did you know that we drink out of the same water that dinosaurs drink out of? And the 70% water that's in our body could mean that we are 70% dinosaur. The mom says, OMG, see your brother is a dinosaur. Now you can't trade him for one. She says, no, we 100% need a dinosaur and a dinosaur that is nice and helps clean. My brother is not a helpful dinosaur. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, I 
would maybe have traded a sibling for a dog at some point or a cat or something that didn't talk. So, and that helped clean or wasn't messy. So I can totally understand. I think that's funny. I also love that she is applying what she's learning in class and saying, okay, yeah, like, can we trade my brother for this dinosaur? And we're 70% dinosaur. Okay, and last, but definitely not least, a mom whose child was standing in the shopping cart. The mom then tells her to sit on her bottom before she falls out. Then the child proceeds to fall out of the shopping cart start crying and people in the aisles are commenting oh that sounded like it hurt or uh, she said that one lady was like oh let me just move this cart for you so that she could get by and you know people being like oh she needs to go to the doctor is she okay i heard that it's so loud all while her child is screaming and that is mortifying i think there should be like an unspoken rule that like we just don't comment on mothering ever right like unless you're asked but especially in the grocery store if there's a crying kid if there's an injury it as long as the child is being attended to like let's just not comment on parenting in the grocery store ever um i'm gonna you know like make a petition what are those is it change.org that has petitions and I'm going to have all of you sign it. We just don't talk about it. We don't talk about other people's kids' behavior. We just don't because it's rude. It is rude. And every parent is out here doing the best that they can. And they don't need Judge Judy or negative Nancy shaming them or making them feel worse that their kid just got a head injury in the aisle of Smith's or Kroger or wherever she was grocery shopping. So that's how I'm going to change the world is... Just don't talk about it. Mom shaming is the worst. It is my biggest pet peeve. And literally in my Facebook group, I think I said this near the beginning. I will continue to say this. Like pretty much the only rule is don't be an asshole. And I feel like maybe we just need to like make a shirt that says don't be an asshole to other moms. Okay. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful week. And if you liked this podcast, please subscribe, share with a friend, rate, review, you know, do what you're going to do. Don't be an asshole. See you. Bye. If you want more of mindful as a mother, you can find me on Instagram at lens underscore Adams L C S W. Once again, at lens l-i-n-d-s underscore adams l-c-s-w